This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern, joined as always by the man himself, Mr. Greg Crumpton. Greg, how you doing today, man? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Um, crazy busy week. Uh, you know, I've been telling you, you guys, for a little while about this whole moving experience, and and this week is like uh, no different. So, looking forward to getting some loose ends wrapped up. But I'm uh, super excited about today because. Uh, we actually have have an industry veteran that that I've been associated with for a long time now, and uh, but we've never had a one on one conversation. Excited by it, and I'm uh, looking forward to it. Absolutely, let's introduce our guest today. His name is Ron Vocone, and he is joining us here on the program. Ron, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing this morning? I am doing great, living the dream up here in lovely, still cold Minnesota. I do not envy that one bit being in Texas. Uh, very, very happy to have warm weather this time of year. I was really enjoying the 75-degree uh, weather in Austin at Data Center World last week, and mm. I'm still a little bitter about coming home. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ron, that weather, I was there as well. Uh, I didn't know you were there. We could have chatted about this, but uh, yeah, it it was incredible, just, you know, and I, I talked, I think I talked to Tyler or Matt, one of his coworkers when I was out there and man, it was just a super spring. Like it was, it was, uh, it was everything you want in Austin, but, um, uh, you know, Austin itself has taken a little bit of a, a, a turn over the last few years. So the weather <laughs> was good and the, uh, and I'll let it go with that. So it's always good. For, it's always good people watching in Austin. That's like no, the, it's, it, it is prime people watching territory. No it doubt, is. brother. No doubt. Well, Ron, as I alluded to, we, we've often texted and, and emailed and, and linked in each other. And uh, so it's really good to be able to just have a one-on-one conversation with you. Um, I think we got connected, God, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago. It's been a long time. It has been. Always, uh, always admired your work and uh, both work and social media work. You, you do a great job of uh, building your personal brand and well, we've got a lot of connections in common too. Yeah, that, I appreciate the the kind words, but we do have so many people. You know, you're one of the few that you know when you get on LinkedIn, it shows how many shared connections you have, and I think about half of mine are shared with you. So we, uh, we, which I find even weirder that we've never had the chance to be one on one because we're always around the same people. You know, so yeah. Well, when I was uh, spent about nine months in in Greenville, South Carolina. And was trying to get up to your area and, and connect in person a couple of times. It just never worked out. But uh, I appreciate the chance to uh, sit down and talk with you. And oddly enough, I'm living in Greenville, South Carolina now. So uh, That's how, funny. Uh, yeah, it's crazy, crazy. Well, tell us a little bit about you. You you have been in the IT industry via construction for a time. And give us a little backdrop on your on your journey and how you wound up wearing that Nebraska Cornhuskers hat that our audience cannot see, but we can. Well, it's, uh, you know, the whole Husker room, it's it's a thing for me. So I, I grew up in south central Nebraska, a town called Kearney, which by most standards, not very big by Nebraska standards, one of the bigger towns in the state. So grew up there and uh, ended up going to school down at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln and started on a mechanical engineering major, realized two things. One, 
I don't want to sit in an office and design things. And two, I'm not smart enough to be a real engineer. So ended up changing to construction management. And who would have known that I would still end up getting into geeky technical things? And you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, I guess, and hopefully a little bit of both. But uh, graduated, was working on a water treatment plant down in Texas, North Texas, and then moved up to Tulsa. And then I ended up getting into telecom. So moved from Tulsa to Los Angeles for what was then Kiwit Network Technologies changed into Metropolitan Fiber Systems. So that got me, that was kind of my techno gateway drug, got me into the startup industry. And so spent about three and a half years with them in Los Angeles, then moved to Denver in 96 for this company called SP Telecom, which turned into Quest Communications. And so we, I was responsible for the, the team that built out all of the facilities on their nationwide network, including the first round of True Data Center starting in around 97. And I've been doing it ever since. So been all around the country, spent a year in Tokyo, turning a parking garage into a data center. So just really blessed to be in an industry that has completely changed and evolved in my working career. So my whole career being spent in this has just been like watching the Discovery Channel every day. It's been amazing. Well, that's a heck of a lineage of your of your journey. Um, I was just kind of reflecting back on some of those names that you were mentioning. And you know of names, and then they just tend to evaporate because they get absorbed into the acquiring firm. But then you hear it again, and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like, it happens. I mean, even with consumer products, you know, you'll see a package or you'll hear something from the past. You're like, what? Wonder whatever happened to that? And then, you know, lo and behold, they turn into ABC company and you're like, it's just the natural, natural flow. But, you know, I'm, I know that you're a chronicle listener to this podcast. I just feel that you are in my DNA. So, you know that we talk about uh, how our relationships kind of evolve with our journey through our life and through our careers, especially. Um, so I, I, I want to I guess I just I'm asking, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, how how have your personal relations kind of carried along with you as you've gone through these different iterations Um so that that I'm curious about that, and then I'd love to get your perspective. Also, uh, you mentioned the the Tokyo uh, data center that was originally a parking deck, and I'm I'm really curious of your thought because you I, I love your uh, future uh, cast that you do every year when you're future guessing or future hypothesizing what's going to happen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm really curious of what your take is going to be as liquid cooling comes in in the forefront, which it really seems to have a, a lot of momentum behind it right now, and the uh, lights out data center model with the liquid. You know, I'm just kind of curious about your thoughts on that, and how does how do, how do the people blend into that? Because you know we're so connected and and last week in Austin was a perfect example at the outcome show you know we're all there for a reason we're learning we're watching trends we're reconnecting uh you know dot connecting as i call it 
but we, we've got to figure out, or, or I want to understand, I guess, how is all that relational stuff going to morph as our business continues to morph? So just kind of curious of your thoughts on a couple of those topics. You know, the relationships are, when I look back on it, which again, makes me sound old, but you know, if the shoe fits, but I, I look back on relationships and how they changed my career from the very start. So that first fiber company, Kiwit Network Technologies, I ended up getting into that company through, I'll say a lady now, but back then a girl that I was on the rowing team with in college, that she joined that company right out of college. I was about a year and a half later. And my resume went across her husband's desk. And one thing led to another. Next thing you know, I'm living in Los Angeles and and doing fiber optics. So, you know, even back to college, those relationships, and we're still friends. And that first company, the people I knew, if, if you look at the tech industry, there's different family trees that grow out of some of those startups from the 90s and continue to now. And I look at some of the folks that I knew back from Metropolitan Fiber Systems that went on to become COOs and CEOs. I think the CEO of Zeo at least was, um, I think it was Dan Caruso, was from the MFS days. And the COO of Equinix, Ralph Abdel, was from those days. So that family tree and then kind of started my own at Quest Communications. I was looking at this a while back and there's people that, I think there's seven or eight VPs. One's the CEO of a small construction company and one's a CTO of another company that came out of that family. And so, and then they start their own and it's just amazing those relationships when, and especially those, those ones from the nineties and the startups that those are still very close friends because those were very formative years in your career in your twenties, early thirties. And it's just amazing how it impacts your career moving forward that those, those folks go out and start building their own groups and, you know, you cross paths. It's just great kind of parental to see them grow up in the industry and, and know that you had some small part of that. It's it's just awesome. So I'm getting all sentimental internally right now because I, I do have, you know, some of those relationships that I've had. You know, I've been in the industry 40 years on the mechanical side and, and 30 of that really strongly on the data side of mechanical. And uh, it's so true. You know, you have these these moments, you know, I've got a plaque that I've, every once in a while I post about this word that says commitment and then it's uh, commitments defined. And that that picture came from an episode at a high school in Richland, South Carolina, after a very, very intense week when school was about to open and I was helping a colleague of mine in another division finish that building um, so that school could open because we couldn't get a CO on that building and have kids in there until all this work got done. And uh, man, what a, you just remember those really clarifying moments. To your point, what stems from that is, is lifelong relations, you know, and people tend to work with and want to stay connected with their people that have been in the foxhole with them. And uh, that helps everyone because I'm hiring you as a trusted ally. You're hiring me is because I've been in there bleeding with you and you know, I'm not going to leave you in a lurch. And, uh, that's the foundation, you know, of, of, and, and we say trust on this show a lot, but all of our, well, 
for most of us, the majority of our relationships that we enjoy are trust-based because nobody has time for all that, as Felicia would say. Like, I ain't got time for that. I mean, I need somebody I can trust and get on with the program. And I think moments like that really, really do, uh, like, stick with you forever. Or they do for me anyway. Absolutely. No, just last week at uh, we were at dinner with a potential customer and we were talking, he was bringing up companies that he's talking to about prefabrication. And there was one in particular that I know. And he said he visited them, liked them a lot for certain reasons and brought up the same thing. There's, there's a person or two at a lot of places you may not like, but at the end of the day, if something hit the fan, you could call up the owner of that company and he's going to make it right. And I absolutely trust them to do that. And so that was that was my message to him is like, you know, there's a person or two that I may not like there, but love the leadership, love the people that are going to make this work happen. And if anything went south, you can call these two people and they will fix it. I absolutely trust that. You know, Ron, that's so ironic that you said that, because I, I have a vision of one of those people uh, in the prefab business in my head. and. um when, when you're talking about that. But what what really comes to my mind when you talk about that is no matter how large or complex or or cool or not cool a company is, it really comes down to a couple of people within embedded or either at the, at the leadership level that you can call and say, look, the shit just hit the fan. Fix this for me or let me help you fix it or help me fix it you know, however, however the equation is and they'll do it, you know, I mean, yeah, you're a CEO of a, a $20 million or a $120 million company or whatever you are, but if you got it, you got it and you're going to roll up sleeves, jump in and get wet and who cares? We're going to fix it. And that to me is where people gravitate to, not the BS, you know, people who are out there just spewing stuff that they don't understand. Uh, half the same time. And they may be fine. You know, who knows? But I don't know them and I don't trust them yet. That trust hasn't been built. So I'm going to fall back on someone that I know that I trust. Change gears on that note. You and I are not 20 anymore. <laughs> How do we ensure that those relationship um, and I'll call them traits or qualities get passed down or around to the up and comers that traditionally thus far in their career have not grown up with that because of digitization of everything. That's a big fear for me is Tyler and I talk every week and I trust Tyler and we've done that in a digital way. Is that good enough? If we're going into business together or we're going to put our names on the dotted line together for a loan or debt or, you know, serving a customer. In this case, it would be because I trust him implicitly because it's taken years to get to that point, because this is the only way we get to communicate. Is that enough or. And, and I'm biased in this opinion. The or for me is. Not in most cases. I still need one-on-one -on -one time with whomever I'm working with because actions are replicated, not words. 
So if, if Tyler was with me in my truck most days or, you know, hanging out with me, he's going to see exactly what he thinks he is going to see because I, I'm, I, I'm true to my word. I don't, everybody's not, you know, you get kind of two flavors and sometimes the only way to vet that out is with physical one-on-one sit down in the truck and ride with me moments and, or airplane trip or whatever, one-on-one time. Um, what's your take on it? Cause I'm biased toward the in-person. You know, I, th- I th- I'm going to be generic and say it depends, but over the pandemic, the thing that I have seen, I've got, I've always been fairly comfortable with video chats, but you know, there's a lot of friends that I missed, including my data center buddies. So we started doing some data center virtual happy hours, you know, and lots of people have done those, but then other friends brought in their friends that I hadn't met. And there's three or four people from there that I absolutely trust now that I've never met face to face. So those folks and you know, since joining my current company, OIC, I've only met in person two people, I think. So one being my boss that I know going all the way back to the Quest days. So we've known each other for 20 some years, but there's several people in the company that I've gotten to know really well over the past nine months that I absolutely trust. So, but then there's other people I interview tons of people because our business is blowing up and and even my past company where I had an international group interviewing people all over the world. And there's some you kind of still get a good feel for virtually and others that I also get the feel that I don't trust them. And then others, it'd be a lot better to be able to spend some time and figure that out. So it's, it's really all over the board, but some people just give you that genuine feel pretty quickly and others, it takes a year to figure that out, but it's, it's really all over the board for me. But I, you know, if I, the foundation, if I wanted a strong foundation, it would absolutely be person to person if I could. So Tyler, uh, what, where, where do you weigh in on that? Because you are the person that we're referencing. I think, I think it's hard to know, but I, I do, I'm, I'm, I tend to be more of a relational person and I want to be face to face with people and spend that, that time with folks and just don't feel like you get the most authentic version of people from virtual platforms. And so I, yeah, I I tend to think that you need to, you know, be in the, in the trenches with people on a regular basis to really feel like you know them. And um, yeah, to, to me, to me, I think, I think it will be very interesting to see how my generation acts, behaves um, and believes about their careers in five years when we kind of see how this all shakes out and works out in the long run. Um, I, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a fascinating case study that, that plenty of people are going to do on just what the last couple of years and the, the overall digitization of, uh, of the majority of our relationships does to, to business, to, to how people interact with one another, to the level of trust you're able to, to put in each other, to, to do jobs and to do work. I, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see because um, you can see it going multiple different ways, but, but for me personally, I, I just, I, I prefer to be face to face with people. I prefer to shake hands with folks. So that's, that's, that's my personal opinion. But I also know that there are people in my generation that are, that are thriving, doing more stuff just, uh, within the walls of their home or their apartment. And so you, you can see how it works 
different for different personalities. I'm just hoping that we're flexible enough in the future to give people the the avenue that that maximizes their strengths. That's my hope. You know that that that's well said. First of all, because it's so true. Both of you, your points are spot on when you when you think about our current situation. I mean, hell, sometimes you just can't be in person. I get that. Um, but the other question, and this is just my skeptic side, is, you know, how much in what I'm hearing is genuine versus how much is, you know, we, we've all seen the, 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 you know, the skits or whatever, where, or not even skits in real life, you know, you got a guy or a lady wearing a sport coat on the top and, you know, cut off sweatpants on the bottom. How much of, of that carries over into the delivery of their personality? You know, like, how, are, are we learning as a person to be different on camera than we are in our in our normal life? And God, I hope I'm not. I, I want to be genuine. I really do. And I probably am at fault more often than not because I'm overly genuine and I, I don't apply a lot of filter to what I have to say. A, because I don't lie because I can't remember what I told somebody else. So I found it better if I don't try to depend on my memory. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious about how that is and how much filtering, uh, for lack of a better word, we're getting uh, when we have digital relationships only. Um, it's just a super dang interesting topic, but. You know, and, and we've talked about this before, Ron, on this on this podcast. We talked about this book by Stephen Covey's son, Stephen R. Covey, The Speed of Trust. And I think that this digitization and I'm not a I mean, I like the book. I'm not a raving fan over it. I'm not trying to promote the book, but I think it points to we have to figure out a new way or a a different way to build those relationships because of the digital platforms that we live on now. So just a, uh, that's more of an observation than anything, but that's just kind of how I'm looking at things right now or worrying about or analyzing or what, whatever word you want to use. Well, you hit on something that, that I was thinking just a few minutes ago is you're, you're open, you're honest. And I think behaving that way virtually or in person opens the opportunity to build the trust and build a relationship. So if you're not like that, you're not going to have a great relationship in person or virtually. And, and I'm the same as you. I think that you play an active part in, in those relationships, virtual or otherwise. And that's why I think I'm, I'm the same way. I will say the same things in front of just about anyone. And I am who I am. And, you know, certain Part of that is also my age. I, I think that not, I don't want to say I don't give a shit, but, you know, just. You give less being, of a shit. Yeah, absolutely give less of a shit. And, you know, that's very liberating. And yeah. so I am, I am who I am. I will lay it out whether I'm speaking in front of a conference or at a happy hour or on something like this. And when people understand that you are who you are and, people accept that, I think that's where the trust starts. Yeah. And, and to be fair to our younger colleagues of the world, not just the industry, 
there there is a certain um you know i don't know what the right words lack of a give a shit meter um we are able because we're not trying to build a career we're enjoying the career that we built and extending our career by trying to help the industries plural that we're part of and you know, you kind of get to be the OG, as somebody called me the other day. I had to look it up, but I know what it is, um, of your industry. And that gives you a lot of, of grace. And people are like, well, he's just an old crazy fart. You know, he's going to say stuff like that. But I also realize that people that are trying to build their career, and we talked about this in a, a recent book, uh, um, the Radical Candor book, remember, Tyler, where people are at a different stage in their career. So they're going to act, seek and do things differently depending on where they are in their career. So I get that piece, you know, you can't be a total cowboy or cowgirl when you're 28 years old and, and still a little bit damp behind the ears. I get it. But you can also start to establish yourself as a non BSer and a non buzzword thrower arounder because buzzwords, for whatever reason, people think makes us sound smarter. And really, they just make you sound like everybody else. Um, and there's no differentiation. Uh, that's how I view it anyway, because I, I want to look for content. I want to look for substance. Like, I don't care how you tell me something. If, if I can understand it, I don't need to know all your vernacular you like or, or that, you know, you heard it at the coffee club or whatever, just be genuine and transparent. I think is key in any relationship. So. Amen. Amen, brother. But, you know, again, I, I do understand everybody has their own deal and they have to go at their own pace. Uh, and, and, you know, my, my brash comments aren't for everybody, but you know, that's, I, I can't, I can't be fake either. So, Absolutely. Or I don't think we'd be sitting here having this conversation after as long as we've been knowing each other. You would know that all right, this guy's a flash in the pan. He's full of crap. But, you know, when you see people that are promoting people and promoting ideas and promoting the industry year after year with the right message and trying to be positive and helping people, you feel like that's the right thing. And that's what I see in you. So I appreciate that. Well, that's that's the the karma of the industry that if you're genuinely a good person and you help people that I believe it comes back to you. It's even as simple as, you know, giving some homeless person a couple of bucks. I've seen some, some things on TV about people driving Porsches after panhandling for years out in Los Angeles, but you know, that's, that's bad karma on them. I'm not, I, I think that I'm putting forth positive things from that to, mentoring people, which I'm doing a lot more now. And again, that's back to we're enjoying the career we, we built, really enjoy the heck out of mentoring people. And, you know, maybe not being as involved in the projects day to day now, but mentoring people and helping them grow and helping them up, whether it's up the ladder or into the right spot, that is so rewarding. And that's, that's good karma. Well, you know, that that's excellent. Um, work on your part. And, you know, you think about it, 
a project is a project. It's got a start date. It's got a completion date and a turnover date and a warranty date and all that crap that goes with a project. And it kind of lends itself to thinking about, you know, teach a guy or a girl how to how to give them a fish. They eat a meal. You teach them how to fish. They make it, you know, can eat the rest of their life or whatever that proverb is. Same way with people. If, if you're working on a project and you do a bang up job on a project, then it's got a it's got a, a shelf life, you know, a start and stop. But if you're helping people at your point in your career and, and you're imparting scar tissue earned and you're hashing up your scar tissue over a certain amount of people, that that is much better for the industry and for your company than you working on a project because you're multiplying and you're compounding the knowledge that you have built and you're sharing it. And, you know, I I was having a conversation with a a young lady yesterday, like, why would I not tell you all my scar tissue stories if I can save you three years worth of having to go through that? I can tell you it sucks. It's not going to work the way that, you know, you just laid it out for me. And here are some of the perils of that route. So if, if I can share that knowledge and then she can do with it what she wants. She can continue down that path and fall into the abyss or take some of my advice or take all of the advice. It doesn't matter as long as I'm trying to share it in the right with the right intent. That can save a whole lot of people a whole lot of headache if, if we're multiplying our 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 knowledge gained by more than one project because you're only affecting a project versus the universe of and, and your your analogy of the family tree a while ago was really I have never looked at it that way, but it's so true. You know, you have these, and, and for reason I got this vision of an oak tree and mistletoe balls hanging in it, and that being the different little nuggets of families and the in the uh, eco cycle of of what we do, and you know the little cluster of honey of uh, of mistletoe is kind of like your cluster that you're placing these different clusters in the tree. And then that just grows and, and those people are able to then go supplant knowledge and other folks. And it's just a really cool uh, eco cycle, as you laid it out, or ecosystem. Well, your, uh, your point about sharing knowledge, I think that really represents a big risk for, I'll say industry in general, but data center industry, construction industry, that's a huge risk. I mean, you've probably heard the term silver tsunami that we're both a part of it or will be soon enough that if that knowledge is not passed down, because the average construction worker, trade worker is, I think, mid fifties right now, mid fifties, white guy. And so I won't go down the diversity path, but we need to work on that. But that, that knowledge needs to be passed down. And if it's not, or, you know, same thing in the data center industry, there's a lot of us that don't have a long shelf life in the industry and if we don't pass that in that our knowledge our experiences down to the the gen z's the millennials to carry on and and hopefully we say it in a way that they can accept and use because you know we could tell a story and people can ignore it as well but all you can do is share that knowledge and experience but it's it's such a missed opportunity if we don't do that and it's it's a risk to the industry. How do we how does an industry like construction 
not improve their production in 50 years. And maybe that's one of the reasons why. I don't know. Well, I, I, there's a lot of people that feel like you and I feel about the industry. And not just, I mean, the electricians feel that way. The fire suppression people feel that way. The cable people. It's within every discipline of construction that, you know, I was born in 64. So I'm the I'm the youngest baby boomer by, you know, by chronological order. And I talk to a lot of people that are older and under uh, my age. And uh, there there is a definite not just a corporate revenue threat, which is real, but there's also like younger people look up to people like you that have been on the job site. You have that uh, wisdom and you're willing to share it. Young people uh, are scared that there's not going to be enough of you out there or me out there to help them because they do need that guidance and mentorship. Maybe not know how to ask for it all the time, but they know, you know, the people I talk to know they need it. But to to the, the other side of that equation is I was talking to somebody last week that was my age. And his company had asked him to start sharing his knowledge with younger people because he had been, for whatever reason, just doing his job and he wasn't doing much of the mentoring or, or knowledge sharing piece. And he asked me my thought about it. And he said, I guess, and this is a sad thing for him to say, because I think it shows a mindset that's scary. He said, I guess that I'm old enough that by the time they catch on, it won't impact me. Now, think about that. That comes from a total place of scarcity mentality instead of the abundance mentality that I try to walk around with thinking, hell no, I want to tell everybody I know before I croak to save, you know, I, I want to get that message out. And it hit me really weird because I wasn't prepared for it. I don't know this cat all that well, but, you know, I, I now know his basis of operation is from a, a scarcity place and not an abundance place. He was thinking he was going to get displaced on his way out because of him sharing the knowledge. Where me, I, I'm looking at him as he would be elevated to an on high position because he is the keeper of the knowledge and he's sharing like a mofo, you know, it's just such a different looking at it. And I forget that that's a thing until I hear it like I did this past week um, that and, and this was a, a worker, a, a somebody who worked for their hands every day telling me this and. I was like, holy crap, I forgot that that mentality is out there. It, but it is. I mean, it's proof. It was real time, unscripted, unplanned. You know, it just happened. And I was re-mortified. It's a sad place to be, I think. When when you said that, I just kind of cringed a little bit because I just can't imagine thinking like that. If And maybe it's just the industry that I've been blessed to be in. But you look at the data center industry, the construction of data centers, and incredibly busy when I think it can't get any busier, it does. And we're just trying to bring people in and teach them and coach them up as fast as we can, because 
you can't just keep shuffling the deck chairs for people that are already in the data center industry. We're grabbing people from other industries that have the aptitude, but boy, that's just a sad mentality to think that you're not, that you shouldn't share your knowledge out of fear that, you know, if I share knowledge and it ends up hurting me in my career, one that's never happened, but if it did, I'm still going to feel good about sharing my knowledge. I'm never going to feel bad about that and helping someone. You know, one of, one of the things that I, I noticed from before I worked uh, here at MarketScale, I was I was in radio, and a lot of the people that have that are you know, uh, you think about the the older days of radio, right? You have people that are there for 30, 40 years on the same station. They're an institution. They become part of people's lives. But one of the things that, that radio hasn't done a good job of is finding people who want to and can learn underneath those people and then replace them once they're gone and kind of carry on some of that magic. A lot of that has been lost over the years, and that's why I think radio is kind of on the decline as far as uh, um, what it used to be back in its back in its heyday. And I think that that's a, that's a sad thing. But for me, anyways, that's an example of what not to do, right? So even if you have people that are around for 30, 40 years and have all of this knowledge, there has to be somebody that that has been waiting in the wings and learning from them for the last few years so that that knowledge isn't isn't lost, so that stays in the pipeline. And I mean, I, just from a from a different industry, I, I think it's an issue across across the board, not just in you know HVAC and not just in construction and not just in IT, but you can see that example in lots of different places. You know, I, I remember it being a thing because I went through a union apprenticeship uh, back in the 80s. And I remember some of the old time union guys were like that back then. Like they're not going to teach the apprentice all the cool tricks yet because they didn't want to lose their job to that apprentice. But, you know, I really I, I don't know. I guess I thought it had kind of squandered itself or, or kind of, you know, the flame had gone out on it. But, man. What a what a shocker to real. It was a really good wake up call for me again to think about. I actually made a little paragraph note here for myself on that uh, as a reminder, you know, to make sure that, Greg, you're sharing your crap often and early because I don't want I wouldn't want anybody to ever think I was withholding, you know, for that reason. But uh, anyway, I, I don't want to get too deep in the mud on the sad, sad part. but. I think it is a hell of a reminder of, of how diverse the human brain operates from, from positive to negative and what drives our, our willingness and, and desire to share information. Yeah, completely agree. So, Ron, I, I know we've talked a lot about people, uh, which is, is I love. The, the, I don't know if I love it or hate it, but I sure enjoy it. I'm trying to figure <laughs> people out and uh, what makes us all tick and why but tell, I'm, i'm really curious about uh we and uh i know that we're we're not long on time but we got a couple of minutes um tell us about your view of the the unmanned site the uh liquid cooling what what does this morph into in your view where, where are we headed i'm glad you brought that back up because i did want to hit on that because i i remember looking at and liquid cooling can mean a lot of things. Some people, a lot of people think immersion cooling. And I think back to, geez, probably 2010 or 11, 12 in that range, green revolution cooling that uses the mineral oil and submersion cooling. And now you've got things like liquid to the chip and 
then, you know, there's just so many different versions of liquid cooling. But what I will say about liquid cooling is with densities going up, we have no choice but to go with that. I think until just recently, the the densities in the data center had gotten so stagnant for so many years, but they have consistently gone up year over year now. And the big tech companies, the hyperscalers, their densities are really high. So we can't change physics and there's only so much you can do through air. So I think in the very near future that the hyperscalers are going, you're going to see their new data center designs are probably 100% liquid cooled. I think that's going to happen within the next couple of years. And the enterprises and colos will probably be a ways behind it because they're not out on the bleeding edge. But all the co-location providers need to make sure they have some bells and whistles in their connections for liquid cooling because their their customers are going to be asking for it. It's going to happen. And on the lights out data centers, I made a prediction about that a couple of years ago, and, and I think I was a little out over my ski tips there. But I think with the proliferation of edge that's coming very quickly, I was just reading about Compass Quantum, a new company that was just launched under Compass Data Centers to address Edge. And Edge is going to be everywhere, and it's going to be everything from a pizza box server on the side of a building to 100, 200 kilowatts and everything in between. But it's going to be everywhere because the more technology we create, the more ways there is to use it, and we have to enable that. There's a interesting thing called Jevon's paradox, and I'm probably always pronouncing that incorrectly, but basically talks about people thinking that, okay, we have some basics covered, this industry is not going to grow anymore, but yet technology continues to find new ways and it just keeps growing and growing. So that's that's what I think is going to continue to happen with this industry. So it's got to be lights out because there's simply not enough people to go check out every site. So you're going to see more like the telecoms where there's a tech that has a certain region and a lot of automation. That's where I think it's going. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think about that paradox that you quoted and I think about it like I do the guy who in 1890 said they needed to do away with the patent office because everything worthwhile had already been invented. <laughs> True story. 1890, the guy said that. So. Well, Javon's paradox was around the same time. It was late. 1800s and i think he worked for an electrical power company in the uk so it's it's an interesting one to look up maybe my guy was javon instead of live on but anyway um we're, we're getting up on the the hour here our our time limit anyway of uh being able to keep tyler's bells and whistles spinning over there he's he's looks, he looks like a magician over there with all that spinning wheels he's got but uh, Ron, I really uh, just wanted to say thank you for taking time to join us and uh, talk a little bit about our our, our history and our current state and, and where we're headed. Because, uh, you know what, I, I mean, I, I think about liquid. I think about the the vats or the tanks being poured into the slab. I think about underground piping. I think about all that infrastructure being part of the build. And we're simply hanging racks over the pit. Um, so that, that's, I mean, I think this, that's not too crazy, uh, yet. So we got to get the cleaning and we got a couple of different places to go in that market, but, uh, looking forward to watching it over the next few years, but 
appreciate you taking time with us for sure. Well, Greg, it was absolute pleasure. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. And Tyler, great meeting you, but always, uh, always happy to talk to you guys. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate that. Another great episode in the books, Greg. And uh, yeah, lots more to come. So thank you again to, to Ron Vocon for joining us here on the podcast today. Greg, any uh, anything you want to say before we uh, we sign off for this one? No, I, I mean, I got I'm, I've made a couple of notes during this session here, but I got to do a brain dump before I forget everything and want to write <laughs> down because, I mean, we stirred up a lot of good stuff in my head I've got to think about. So but, that's a great uh, point. Really good stuff. And, and thank you, Tyler. You always do a bang up job for us, my man. Well, it's a pleasure getting a chance to, uh, to to have these conversations on a regular basis. And so thank you again to Ron and thank you to Greg and everyone out there. Thank you for listening and for uh, for continuing to stick with us with the show. We appreciate it very much. Of course, for more, if you want f- uh, further episodes of the show, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify under the name Straight Out of Crumpton. Or, of course, you can visit gregcrumpton.com for more and to stay up to date with the latest episodes. But until those future episodes come out, for our guest today, Ron, and uh, for our host, Greg Crumpton, I've been your other host. Tyler Kern. We'll talk to you again soon.